This episode of the Short Side Option Podcast is brought to you by the Email Boys, your favorite friend collective's favorite friend collective. Sporting purple since the birth room, season tickets since three lockets ago, and passing high school geometry by studying Tex Winter's triangle offense. The Email Boys thrive in the clutch and in most social settings. Driven to rep the cats and educate the community on what it means to bleed purple, to be excellent, and how to rip J's like Michael Beasley. When the purple gets ready to roll, the email boys are ready to deliver. Mr. Icon, start the music. Nice to have you with us here on the Short Side Option Podcast. It's Chris Sork alongside uh, Dilu here as we look back at K-State's 21-14 win over the TCU Horn Frogs. It was a game that uh, Will Howard started uh, and finished, of course, as he uh, took over for Skylar Thompson. And uh, K-State was able to rely on a stingy defense throughout the day as they really limited this TCU offense uh, throughout the day, uh, holding them to uh, just a little over 300 yards and really making it a, a tough day on Max Duggan as K-State is able to extend their unbeaten streak in Big 12 play uh, to th- go 3-0 and here as they start the season in a tie for first place in the Big 12. Dilu, it wasn't necessarily a thing of beauty on Saturday as K-State was able to go in down to the stockyards and win, but it was a thing of beauty with that final scoreline. Yeah, you know, I'll take it. Absolutely. I mean, going on the road against a team, you're a nine and a half, nine point underdog, whatever it was, starting a true freshman. Uh, in those instances, you take a win however you get it, and you, you don't Absolutely. really apologize for it. Uh, like you said, Max Duggan looked very pedestrian on Saturday. Uh, really, just a, a horrible. Day for Doug. You know, and that really shocked me because he, he is a guy that I had been watching um, through his first, uh, you know, he came in the second half against Iowa State, played the full game against Texas and look, really looked quite good. And we'll get more into TCU here as we go in the recap, but I was very impressed. I think a lot of it had to do with what K-State was doing defensively that, that Justin, or not Justin, um, Elijah Sullivan tackle. On him, I think really uh, got him rattled up early in that game in the first half, and quite frankly, I don't think he was ever the same after that hit. Oh no, I don't. I think that was is a clear point where you can uh, see the shift in his confidence and really the effectiveness of the TCU offense. Uh, Eli's hit on him, clean as a whistle, by the way. Oh, so good for oh him. yeah, a, a perfect form tackle, and I'll tell you what. It's kind of like one of those things is he he almost dug in. It seems like he almost exacerbated the the hit because he spun right into it. Yeah, and I mean he he was teed up perfectly for Sullivan and he he stoned him right there. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a big play too because they it was kind of on fringe field goal territory, I believe. They they attempt a long one, they miss it, and K, or well they it's blocked and K State uh, is able to capitalize on it. Absolutely. So. Huge credit to uh, the K-State defense. One word to describe them, stout, I think. Um, stingy. Stingy, stout. I'd say, I'd say stout. More so, more so stout yeah. than stingy, but maybe stingy even part stingy and stout. Yeah. Regardless, uh, this year, regardlessly, rather. Um, 
excellent performance by the K-State defense again. Uh, it's starting to become a trend. They're playing really since the second half of the OU game, save for a few drives here and there. Well, let's throw in the first half, too. Because they, I thought they did an okay job in the first half of the OU game. Not as good as the second half, but an mm-hmm. okay job nonetheless. Um, Tech, like I said, save for a drive here and there, uh, mostly in the run game. But I thought they did a decent job there. And uh, on Saturday was their creme de la creme, really the filet of the season for uh, this K-State defense. Um, really getting to Duggan, uh, like you mentioned, a guy who's not, you know, totally green anymore. No. And making life really uncomfortable for him. Duggan's stat line, 19 of 31, 154 yards, uh, only five yards uh, per uh, attempt there. A QBR of 43.8. So great job by the K-State defense on Saturday, um, limiting Duggan's effectiveness and also finding a way to get some turnovers and one big one in particular. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's just kind of just hop right into this game here. Let's start with the K-State quarterback first. Will Howard making his um, making his real primetime debut here for K-State. Uh, getting the start for uh, Skylar Thompson, who, of course, we learned this week is going to be uh, sidelined for the rest of the season. You know, he gets put into a pretty tough situation, uh, starting with uh, the ball at his own nine-yard line. The first two plays, nothing much. And then the mess calls up the... Uh, the quarterback draw, which, as you remember, K-State fans, last year, Skylar Thompson took a took a quarterback draw. I think he, I think Skylar Thompson may have. I don't. Can't, I can't recall if he scored on his, but it was a seventy-some yard run uh, that really iced the game and, and put K-State in, in commanding position to win last year. But that quarterback draw, once again, a great call in the situation. You want to be kind of safe there, in the kind of in the shadow of your own uh, goalpost. Great call, great execution. K State's able to get some breathing room and get on the board first. Yeah, the that quarterback draw by Howard. I mean, it was excellent play design. It was just wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, see. <laughs> Seeing Howard run down the field, he, he he doesn't quite seem used to his own body yet. Um, Might have been a little tired. By the he was time, he yeah. was stumbling and rumbling, but he's a big fella. Um, and there were a couple times I thought he was going to just fall, trip over his own feet. Hold on to that for later. Hold on for that. Um, but he's got wheels enough. I mean, he, he scampered for uh, 80 yards. And so an effective enough in open field there. Uh, K-State... Couldn't quite punch it in there, uh, which, you know, at the time you're thinking, man, it would have been really nice for him to finish up that run because uh, you hate leaving points on the board there. But, uh, yeah, very good job, very good play call there. Mess liked that play call a lot. That was he a, he that went was back a, to the well a few times on third yeah, down. A few times, maybe too many, but uh, you, you want to play a little bit close to the vest and be a little conservative with the – a true freshman on the road there. I mean, not maybe the normal road environment, but a uh, a guy getting his first start. I was really impressed with Will Howard. I'm going to go ahead and say, I mean, his stat line, you're going to look at it, and it's not necessarily going to, you know, blow you away. Eight of 19, 117 yards in an interception. But there were some plays that I thought showed some real flashes for him. Uh, the one play that I – I've watched several times. I know what now. you're going to say. It's the pass to Deuce Vaughn. Yeah. 
there's a lot to that. Now you say, well, you know, Deuce was able to, uh, you know, get matched up. I mean, TCU was in a blitz. They they blitz a guy off of the right end. Howard hangs in there, and he's backpedaling still, throwing off his back foot. And when by the you can look at it at uh, the clip when Howard releases the ball, Deuce Vaughn's not looking for it. I mean, he he's still running his route. He throws it with anticipation, and he doesn't lead him perfectly, but he gets it to him, not necessarily in stride, like I say, but in a, in a position where he's still able to catch and run with the ball afterwards. And him staying in there, not only throwing the ball uh, and getting it complete, but throwing it with some anticipation, that's something that you know we've seen from Skylar Thompson in a, uh, in a uh, pressured situation in the pocket where he sometimes takes that sack or throws it away. Howard's willing to hang in there, and he made a big throw there to do spawn, which got K-State moving. Yeah, absolutely. No, that was a very impressive uh, throw by Howard. Um, like you said, just hanging in the pocket and having faith that his uh, freshman cohort is going to is gonna be there. And, you know, you get Deuce Vaughn lined up with a linebacker, and not a bad bet to make if you're a quarterback. Um, there was That throw was very impressive. Heck, I thought his throw to Sam Wheeler. Yeah, gosh. I don't know. Uh, you know how I was... I, I, was, I hesitated to even bring that up. I was bringing the house down when I saw my man Sammy, uh, you know, got it. And I... To be honest with you, it was probably the right call to overturn that. I, maybe, maybe but not. It, it I mean, a, it's it's real bang-bang, and it's a shame that uh, that call went against us. But like you said, it, it's, it could go really either way. Uh, but a tragic turn of events there. But regardless, a, a fantastic throw. Um, mm-hmm. Right, on, right was, where it could be. Yeah, right. Right where it needed to be. Perfect throw. Um, but so there, yeah, like you said, there were real flashes from Howard. Um had some difficulty, especially early in the game, strong behind some guys. And I, I just have to think that's something that's going to come with time. Yeah. As he gets more used to the timing of it and putting it where it exactly needs to be. Because that was kind of a trend early in the game. Just throwing it just behind guys, especially in crossing routes. But I think that's just something that he's going to develop with comfort. Yeah, and TCU is playing a lot of man. And with our wide receivers being you know, a little limited so far uh, here so far this season. There just wasn't much separation really all day with the receivers. They weren't giving him a lot of great windows to throw to and a lot of, you know, favorable matchups uh, throughout when you look across the board there. But, yeah, absolutely. I think there were – you could look at some of those passes and you could look at some of uh, what he was doing in the pocket, hanging in there and developing – and uh, throwing a confident ball – Building blocks to grow on as he's going to go into this bye week. And then, uh, you know, he's got KU coming up here uh, after the bye week. And then we get into, you know, probably two of the tougher defenses that we're going to see this year with West Virginia and uh, Oklahoma State. So something to build on, of course, but uh, it's only going to get tougher here for Will Howard and the rest of this K-State offense. Yeah, and, you know, now that he's – definitively the guy in charge the rest of the way. Uh, it'll be interesting to see him just become more comfortable getting the first team reps, getting used to some of these new faces on the wide receiving core. Uh, DJ Render, who is apparently uh, one of our top wide receivers. He's ascended, he's ascended his way up the depth chart. Yeah, side. I mean, if you, you tell me a month and a half ago that, well, before the season, that Chab Taylor and DJ Render are going to be 
two of the more reliable options midway through the year. I'm looking at you sideways because I'm thinking, well, where's Malik Knowles? And that's a question that uh, we're still asking ourselves. And I would expect uh, Youngblood to be in there as well. No longer on the team. No longer on the team. And we'll we'll kind of get into some of that maybe a little bit later. But but you got guys that are, you know, kind of it's it's a big ask. About people. It's yeah. a big ask out of this offense. And it's, you know, the mess has his hands full because these are not the tools that he thought he was going to be playing with this year. Um, but regardless, it's the hand he's dealt. And so uh, just scoring enough to win is going to – is his job the rest of the way and, and figuring out how he's going to manage the uh, new faces on the offense. Well, so K-State goes down, scores on their opening possession, gets a field goal from Blake Lynch. TCU goes down pretty methodically and goes down and scores right away after that uh, to take a 7-3 seven, seven, lead. K-State comes back with a 53-yard field goal from Blake Lynch. Now, that was an interesting thing right there at the end of the first quarter. I wasn't really quite sure what the situation was, why we were calling a timeout with, you know, 15 seconds or whatever it was. I'm assuming that it was due to kicking with the wind. It's the only thing I could come up with. Well, if, if you were listening to the game uh, on the radio, as I always do. You always do that. You, that's right. Um, the Stan Weber and Wyatt Thompson advised that, yes, it was because of the wind. So terrific job by them. Yeah, so, so that's a really good job there. Right it's there. a cerebral play uh, decision by the head man Chris Kleiman. But how about Blake Lynch? I mean, he's really kind of stretched out his range. Yeah, uh, he this has. season and and shown a few times that he's got the the leg to go fifty yards, even if it is win assisted. Yeah, well, that was still not a not an easy field goal with wind or not, and there mm-hmm. wasn't didn't seem via uh, the telecast that there was. A ton of wind to speak of necessarily either, as far as that goes. But uh, yeah, big time kick by Lynch. Uh, hey, how about TCU calling a timeout though on the, the his first attempt? Yeah, and giving he, him a, giving him a second uh, second run through there. Gary, not great. Not great. Who's icing the kicker? 15, with fifteen seconds left in the first quarter. Apparently, Gary Patterson. Yeah, you know. So it was. Uh, in, those were big points for K State. And but the really the theme of the day as we've mentioned, is this K-State defense was really stymieing TCU throughout the day. I mean, K-State, like you said, no question their best defensive performance today. And there's a couple guys that stick out to me. Number one, Justin Gardner. Number six. I think that he is developing into a star at the quarterback position. Your thoughts? I'm very glad you say that. Because I completely agree. I mean, I feel like a lot of the headlines this year, at least at the cornerback position, have belonged to A.J. Parker. And he's been phenomenal. Well, and he, and he moved to nickel, which is yep. great. But then, you know, so you have a couple injuries. Uh, and, but, and then Eco Boido. He comes in and, and does a fine job. He's a program guy, and a lot of people are happy to see him. Uh, get some start, and, and do a pretty good job back there. But Justin Gardner, I think he's the the best. I think he's doing the best job out of a quarterback I've seen out of K-State that I can remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, 100%. He, there have been times where he's out a, kind of on an island, and he just plays it pers- perfectly. And he did a great job on Saturday, but I still go back to that Oklahoma interception he had where – 
I forget who he was up against, but it was on the near sideline to the camera, um, moving left to right, and he gets that interception in the first quarter. In the I don't remember if it was first quarter, second quarter, but first half, and it was just like incredible that he was just playing coverage that well. Um, very impressive job by him. But no, so I completely echo your uh, your praise of Justin Gardner. He has been very impressive this year, and frankly, looks like a guy that's maybe got a future playing on Sundays. Hundred percent. And six two, hundred ninety one pound cornerback. Uh, looking through here, of course, we signed him through uh, Hutch Junior College, a Blue Dragon. Um, I did not realize that he was a bounce back from Oregon State. So Beaver Nation, stand up. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that either. That's uh, hey, their loss is our gain because he's done an excellent job. He he was phenomenal. Of course, uh, you got AJ Parker who gets that pick six late, that really extends the lead out for K State at that point, making it twenty one to seven. Uh, early, or kind of towards the uh, later part of the third quarter. But this defense really throughout the day was. We mentioned uh, Sullivan's hit on. Max Duggan really setting the tone, I feel like. But K-State's defense, phenomenal. Uh, when you look at a couple of guys on the defensive line that stuck out to me, Bronson Massey, I thought, had one of his best games um, You know, at K-State. He's been really, I think, a stalwart throughout the season. He's probably been maybe, if you want to say outside of maybe Khalid Duke, been the best defensive lineman that K-State's had. And... You know, we're doing all this. Of course, Wyatt Hubert, he was involved too, and he had kind of the uh, the late play there with the uh, the what was called targeting early and then overturned, but still gave TCU another chance to uh, toss it up to the end zone where Justin Gardner knocked, knocks it down at the end of the game, of course. There you but, go. But, uh, you know, defensive line was making it tough on uh, Duggan and the rest of the TCU offense really throughout the day. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Boom's done a, a great job this year and, and you know, had a great game on Saturday. Six total tackles, five of them solo, and a sack. Uh, so a, a good day out of him. I think Drew Wiley played uh, pretty well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another guy. Uh, Hubert, I think, has been starting to come around a little bit um, after some rougher performances earlier this year uh, to where he's kind of becoming more comfortable in his role and settling down a little bit. And I was going to say avoiding penalties, but uh, that, you know, that, that penalty he had at the end of the game, I didn't, I didn't think it was, you know, it it was one of those things too, is anytime you, you push a quarterback up around the, the upper part of the body, I guess that's a, that's going to always be looked at unfavorably by the officials. It sucks because they called it. And you know, I've seen I guess they should have called it. Yeah, it, it's not the, an egregious penalty. No, um, by I'm, either I, the officials or or White Hubert. I just think it's I chalk that up to just being a little bit unlucky there. But no, I, I was I think the pass rush on Saturday was was pretty good. I think you know I, I gotta say if there's one unit on the defense that has been kind of stuck in my craw a little bit, probably the linebacking core. Um, I was about to mention that. And specifically Justin Hughes, um, I I went back and rewatched the Tech game this week, and I don't know whether it's a schematic thing or it's just him just not being there. But on a lot of those runs where we get gashed, he's just 
MIA and, and not even and just kind of on the side of the line like he's ready to be the read guy on a quarterback read. I mean, and so maybe it's schematic. I I, I honestly don't know, but it's when K State's getting gashed in the middle, it's a lot of times because we have a linebacker who's who's not there to pitch in. I think what what I and I've noticed the exact same thing. And what, when I go back and I watch it, I feel like it's what what I would attribute it to is K State's linebacker, and then the the safety if if that safety's getting involved in in run uh, stopping, is it just doesn't seem like they're fitting the run very well. And what I mean by that is they're not fitting the gaps. A lot of the times on, on a couple of the plays on TCU's touchdown run uh, in the first quarter, it was a prime example where. Hughes doesn't quite really fit his gap uh, there, and he gets folded over, and it, it allows uh, you know TCU to get in the end zone there. But that's been a concern really throughout the season. Well, and it's so consistent that it. That's why I wonder if it's like, is he being is he is he doing his assignment and just somebody else is screwing it up because. It happens often enough to where it's like, what is going on? And I don't know whether it's we're putting too much faith in the D tackles to walk the inside and force it out or, or what. But it's beyond me how he appears to be so out of position so often on those uh, when K-State just gets gashed in the middle of the field on the run. Well, it's definitely something to be concerned about because K State's going to see a lot, a lot of this style of offense where they, it's the zone read, it's the just the zone run uh, from the running back or the quarterback in this situation was the running back, but just being gap sound and filling up those gaps and just getting that play stretched out uh, to where they can't cut it up inside on you. And that's the that's a big concern uh, as we go forward. But the defense has played really well. I don't want to yeah take no, that, and that's a complete nitpick. Yeah, but but you see one or two drives a game, really, throughout the season. So well, at least since OU, where the other team just decides, okay, we are going to commit to the run on this drive, and where K State's defense just looks hapless, and you say that's that was a horrible drive for this defense. Um, and like I said, it's only about it's only been one or two drives a game really for the last three games. But that's if there's any major area of concern, I'd say, yeah, just the interior run defense. You know, one guy I thought at the linebacker position that did play really well is Daniel Green. Mm-hmm. Uh, got into uh, got into the sack column this week, uh, taking down Duggan. But I gosh, I gotta tell you, I think our linebackers talent wise, I don't have any concerns with that. It's just I think it's really more of a schematic thing in terms of being assignment sound. In this case, what I feel is the biggest issue is being gap sound and fitting the run uh, when you know teams run those zone-type reads or run those zone-type blocking schemes uh, to be able to put a man on a man and get that thing strung out instead of letting it, the cutback lane be right through the middle. Yeah, so one thing for our listeners to watch, watch for as we move forward, Keep an eye on the linebackers on some of these obvious run situations and just watch what they do because it's interesting. And if there's one concern you have on this defense so far, it's it's where they are. Um, and like I said, part of that's the defense tackles too because they have a big job in the interior defense front game as well, maybe even bigger than linebackers. But, but it's that 
between the hashes, between the tackles runs that uh, has really plagued K-State. So TCU takes a 7-6 lead. Uh, K-State uh, takes the lead into halftime. Uh, going back to that throw from Will Howard to, to Deuce Vaughn, and they get set up uh, you know, with that big play, gets that offense moving, and K-State's able to punch it in on a Will Howard run. They go for two, and they rely on a little trickeration uh, for the two-point conversion on the reverse to Shab Taylor, which, you know, for a two-point conversion, I don't know if really running kind of a, a long reverse, you know, kind of one of those longer developing type plays is necessarily the best call, but, hey, it worked. and uh, it, it shouldn't it, have worked. <laughs> and not only should it not have worked, the reason why it did work Probably Jackson Dean, uh, you know, coming back, doubling back for some people and uh, making it his personal mission to get Shab Taylor in the end zone. Yeah, Jax Boucher. Um, he was out there just. It, it was he some, was out there head high. I mean, he, he got a helmet on at least three or four guys, at least three. Um, and he may have got a backside shoulder pad on another, but uh, really nice job by him on that play. And that's a guy that. You know, K-State, when he came in, people were pretty high on him, uh, pretty excited about him. And then last year, uh, he, he comes in, he's got a little paunch on him. He's, he's, he's got that freshman 15 going, and maybe not the best weight, but it, people are like a, a little bit concerned, like, uh, Jax, are, are you going to be okay here? But, man, he's got a motor. And we saw it on that play where he's just out headhunting and it's like oh, okay this is what people were talking about you don't want your fullbacks to be super you know spelt necessarily either do you i mean uh, you want them to just be big and strong guys but he looks like a guy that you know i bowl with on monday nights out there but he's he he brought his blocking uh hat on saturday because that two-point conversion chad taylor got Across the end zone, but that play was made with Jackson. Hundred percent. And you know the other thing too is at that point in the game, I don't know if I like chasing the points really there to make it to have it go from a twelve to six lead to put it up to fourteen seven, so a whole touchdown. I don't really know if I think that going for two right there is necessarily the right call. I don't have a huge problem with it. I was a little bit surprised to see us go for two there, but uh, it ended up working out and. Credit to Jackson Dean for helping it work out. Yeah, well, that's something Chris Kleiman has kind of showed off this year is that he's willing to go for two if, if he thinks the situation calls for it. I mean, you saw it in the Oklahoma game where uh, K-State was going to go for two. And then I think it was false a false start yep. on the two-point conversion, which required Blake Lynch to get out there and get the PAT. But, uh, yeah, that, that's been a—I I agree with you. I was a— Tiny bit surprised that we were chasing points that early, but it worked out. And I and I don't really mind the call either. No, I I you know, K State hasn't really proven to be a team that can go out and get two yards uh, on the ground when it needs. Yeah, it a, a traditional run play. You know, not usually. I mean. I would say a traditional run play is usually the call there for K State, whether if it's I'd a, say it's option, an option option game or <laughs> maybe the know, short side or you know quarterback power. Those are the the two staples. But I don't mind the creativity no. there. It just seems like a, that was a little bit of an odd call there to have a kind of a longer developing run play on a on a two point conversion. But when you think about it, it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you don't want K State running uh, some kind of super power play there. 
asking Will Howard to make something happen is a big ask out of a freshman and out of a receiving core that, frankly, hasn't been great unless you're going to rely on uh, a guy like Briley Moore, which wouldn't have been a bad call either. But using some misdirection and, and getting the ball uh, out on the edge in space with Shabazz and Taylor, who's a big guy and hard to bring down, um, yeah, I, in hindsight, it, it starts to make some pretty good sense. Well, so K-State goes to the locker room. Uh, well, you know, as we mentioned, too, with that hit on uh, – so TCU gets the ball back. They drive it down there, and uh, Sullivan stops Duggan, setting up a long field goal attempt, which gets blocked by K-State. K-State goes in the locker room, 14-7 to uh, lead over TCU. And then uh, K-State gets the ball after halftime. Will Howard throws the interception. That was – a, a bad throw. I mean, there's no real way around it. Uh, I think it was second down play where he kind of just YOLO balls it down there to uh, into what was double coverage, but it may as well it have was, just been a, a punt. It, it was just not even close to any – It's frankly, it's hard to see who – to figure out exactly who he was – the ball was even intended for because it was a good 10, 15 yards away from – Whoever was the Shaft Taylor was the intended receiver. Yeah. It looked like they were trying to get him on a post, but he it looked like he kind of broke it off a little bit more towards, you know, running more of a streak. But uh, either way, a turnover there for Casey. An arm punt, the first turnover of the season. Yeah, not terrible. Live with that. You live with it. And but this K-State defense, as we mentioned, you know, have mentioned through the podcast and have mentioned kind of through um, previous editions of, of the short side option, stood up. Uh, all day on uh, on Saturday against TCU. And for TCU's first three drives of the second half, three plays and a punt, three plays and a punt, pick six. Yeah. Um, you like to see that. And after the first drive in the second half, uh, Max Duggan gets the cane. I mean, he, he gets yanked. Yep. And I really, this is the third game in a row where K-State has just kind of broken a quarterback mentally at some point, or physically in the case of Alan Bowman. But this K-State defense is just out there. I mean, if you're an opposing quarterback and you're going up against K-State's defense, you're thinking, man, that's a, that's a defense I don't want to face because their track record the last month has uh, not been great for opposing quarterbacks. After injuring Bowman, um, putting Radler really in an uncomfortable spot there in the fourth quarter. And now on Saturday, uh, you know, a little big hit came on Duggan, and he gets yanked. And, you know, you, you really got a feel for uh, Matthew Downing, the uh, backup quarterback for TCU. Uh, not a good outing for him on the day uh, because his two drives were uh, not impressive. In case they – also credit to them, they were able, it seems like sometimes this year we haven't had necessarily great field position to deal with. We were really pushing TCU at, at the start of that second half into really long fields. And, of course, with the pick six, uh, being able to have a little bit of a shorter field to work with there to where A.J. Parker could return that thing all the way to the house uh, was advantageous. But, you know, this TCU offense was just backed up really throughout the early part of that, that second half. And, uh, Case it was the beneficiary of it. Absolutely, I mean, and that's just one of the benefits of having a, a defense that's really excelling is you, you get shorter fields and you're not only keeping points off the board, but you're giving uh, the offense a chance to go out there and, and have 
advantageous spots. So AJ Parker returns it for a touchdown. TCU tacks on a late touchdown uh, to to cut it to a seven point game. And at this point, K State has the ball ahead head by seven with a little over three minutes left. At this point, you're feeling very comfortable because K State, like I said, has been very good on defense. I mean, TCU's looked honestly inept offensively. I think a lot of it has to do with what K-State was doing, but gosh. Piss poor. It was <laughs> – yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's this video of this uh, younger TCU fan going out, uh, giving his thoughts in the first half where he repeatedly uh, describes uh, Texas Christian's offensive performance in the first half as piss poor. And you know what? He is onto something there with that, I think. Yeah. No, and, it's hard to blame him. Find the lie. Find the, it, tough to find one there. So K-State's able to make the plays down the stretch. Of course, TCU uh, has a final chance at the Hail Mary, but it, it falls begging. And K-State's able to escape uh, the Stockyards with a, with a seven-point win. Yeah, I have to be honest with you. If you would have told me going into this ball game that – you know, we get 8 of 19 for 117 yards and interception from Will Howard. I'm saying, well, yeah, we're probably coming away on the losing end of this one. And we both, we, we both predicted that K-State would lose this game. And yeah. we were both wrong. Deuce Vaughn, 90, you know, south of 90 yards of offense. Howard puts up 117 yards of passing. Uh, you think, man, it, it, it's not going to happen. K-State's going to lose this by multiple scores. But you know what we weren't accounting for? Stout K State defense, um, and that was that was a difference on Saturday. Also, K State walks another kick. I mean, we had what three weeks in a row of blocking a punt. We block a field goal this week. It's pretty remarkable um, that K State through four games has blocked a kick or a punt in every single game so far. Absolutely, <laughs> huge <laughs> huge credit to the special teams. Yeah, I mean that. That's another little subplot that I don't feel gets quite enough attention this year is that, um, and I think part of that's because there haven't been any huge kick returns or, or punt returns really, but this is a extremely impressive streak at a K-State special teams unit on the whole, uh, blocking kicks or punts in four consecutive games. Absolutely, and for a team that, you know, without your starting quarterback, without guys that you thought were going to be major contributors on the offense throughout the season... It's what you need to have. I mean, pure and simple, K-State needs to have that third phase of the game. They don't need to just be good there. They need to dominate that. And, you know, 53-yard field goal. Now, Blake Lynch did miss a field goal slightly by the smallest of margins there. But, uh, you know, K-State's been really pretty good in the special teams uh, department really throughout the first four games, and it's a big reason why they're 3-1. and one. Right. And, and over, But that's not – Something that's been totally new for K-State over no, the last 10 years. So. But, well, and especially last year. I mean, we had however many kickoff returns. I, I believe three or four kickoff returns last season. Um, and the return game has been a little lackluster this year. But K-State special teams finding a way to get it done in the other areas. So K-State gets the win 21-14 over TCU. Dilo, is there anything else you want to kind of hit on here in the in the TCU game before we kind of... Branch off into a couple different avenues here. No, other than just that trip by Howard. Um, oh yeah, that, that could have sealed it. Man, I'm really glad K State won. Um, you know, reminded me of, of that. 
It, it reminded of the UCF no, sniper? No, oh, no. It reminds me of a game that we were watching after a, a hard-fought oh, yeah. <laughs> K-State okay. loss to Oklahoma back in uh, 2013. Yeah. Where Baylor's taking on TCU. Bryce Petty. Bryce Petty. Yeah. Running for the end zone. Fumbles and trips. Uh Due to no fault of anyone else other than his own. And, well, and uh, but earlier on in that run, I, I was big on the Bryce Petty for Heisman uh, campaign. If, if memory serves me correctly, and I like to think that it does. He's coasting to the end zone. And right as he is coasting to the end zone, you say, well, there's your Heisman winner, folks. There's your Heisman winner. And no later than that last syllable falls off your tongue. <laughs> so does Bryce Petty. He falls and, down and fumbles. And uh, Did he fumble... I can't remember. Did he actually fumble there? I thought. I thought he just. I, I thought he just got sniped. I think what happened is he. I think he. Either, he either fumbled it or he either fell down, and then they fumbled it later on that same possession, mm. like inside the five yard line, and Oklahoma State recovered, and Oklahoma State routed Baylor as Baylor was gunning for uh, a spot in the uh, the BCS uh, title game that year. Bryce Petty did not win the Heisman that season. He did not. So, so. the D. Lou Jinx is alive and well. Yeah, I suppose. Suppose so. Otherwise, um, no. I was just saying, in light of Howard's uh, potentially game losing trip, I mean that could have cost K State the game had that could pass have. been caught in the end zone, um, and I think that that would have been devastating for Will Howard. Uh, but as it turns out, it's a play that pretty much everybody's going to forget about. Uh, Maybe, yeah. the fil- maybe in the film room they might have a couple laughs about they'll, it. They'll, they, yeah, no, I just mean as time goes on, uh, that play will be washed away and ultimately be meaningless in the 2020 K-State campaign. Well, it, it's tough to uh, see too many negative things about what K-State was able to go out and do with a, with a true freshman quarterback on the road as they, uh, they, they pull off the upset, I guess. I mean, Absolutely. Nine, nine and a half point dog, but maybe we shouldn't have been, huh? Maybe uh, TH8 was, uh, he was on something when he said it was free money. Absolutely, and it's a bad job by us, and we'll try to follow goal number four, Snyder 16 goals, and improve every day as podcasters, uh, prognosticators, sons, sons uh, football players, and uh, as men. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Let's uh let's put a bow here on uh, the TCU game and let's kind of transition now into uh, maybe some not so rosy news for for some K State fans as you know we we mentioned earlier uh, Skyler Thompson out for the season Will How it's Will Howard's uh, ship to ship to uh, to sail here the rest of the way as the starting quarterback you know you hate to have someone who was a, a team leader and also, you know, K-State's most experienced player on the offense, of course. And the uh, guy who was doing pretty darn well this playing, year. Playing really a high level of football, have to go out and have to end his season this year. Now, maybe he comes back next year. I, You know, tough to say at this point. But when you look at what Skylar Thompson means to this team in terms of, one, just his on-field performance, but also, to his leadership uh you know, he's obviously looked at as a leader in the locker room. It's going to be tough for K-State to be able to replace that. You know, I know K-State fans were optimistic that maybe, you know, after this game, a bye week, you know, maybe he doesn't play against uh, KU and we get him back for kind of that second half of the season. But that does not that's not going to be the case here. What are your thoughts on kind of how Skylar Thompson's season at K-State and possibly his career at K-State comes to an end? 
Yeah, it's just really tragic. Um, you know, on a play where if you think, man, Skylar Thompson's going to get hurt this year and he's, he's going to be done, you think, man, I wish we didn't use him as a battering ram. But it wasn't the case. It's not. It's no. I mean, we weren't asking a ton of them out of the quarterback run game. A little, but not a ton. And frankly, not that much as I think about it. That was one of my gripes earlier on in this year: is that we're not the run game is floundering because we're not using the quarterback yeah. as much. Um, and so to see him go down on a uh, on a hit that's probably characterized as dirty um, is just tragic. And, you know, especially as we talked about in the preseason, that this was a real opportunity for Skyler to come out and kind of establish his legacy as a, as a quarterback, as a longtime starter and a guy who has had his ups and downs <coughs> over the years, um, but who had an opportunity this year to come out and have a great season. And it started out rough against yep. Arkansas State. Yep. But then Oklahoma gets one of the biggest wins, um, certainly in his career, probably the biggest win in his career, uh, and one of the biggest wins K-State's had in the last, since 2012. Um, and it, it was turning into a, a chance for him to, like we said, go out and establish his legacy and, and become one of the greats. And so to see that cut short is just a bummer. And... Uh, you know, whether or not he comes back next year, I think in terms of his legacy, it's going to still be kind of ambiguous. It, it's He was a, a very adequate quarterback for K-State that never really got the chance to put an entire season together where he played on a high level. And I think that all signs were pointing to him finishing the nine games of this season as as one that is a campaign that K-State fans would could look back on and really say, yeah, he was a good quarterback. Yeah, and you know he's going to be looked at as the bridge, essentially, between the end of Snyder 2.0 and, and the new era of Chris Kleiman because he was really you know, that guy uh, for K-State. Well, uh, yeah, and especially with Snyder because the whole Delton-Thompson drama, mm-hmm. um, I mean, he's kind of emblematic of the new – era for K-State mm-hmm. is this is Skylar Thompson's team and uh yeah so in, in the when this when the book gets written on Chris Kleiman I think Skylar Thompson's gonna have a significant portion in that no question no question well it'll be interesting to see you know of course hard to know you know what uh, is going through uh you know Skylar's mind and also too Will Howard's gonna have something to say potentially about yeah you know if if he wants to come back if Will Howard's able to, you know, take the stranglehold of this quarterback position, and maybe is able to take the stranglehold of this quarterback position for the next four years. You know, it, it almost serves as maybe a a, a pass of the torch here from from Skyler to Will Howard, and you know, maybe not the way we would have all envisioned it or the way we drew it up, but uh, very interesting to see uh, what happens here throughout the rest of this season and, and as we go on into to 2021 and, and beyond as well. Yeah, an absolute shame. Um, and, you know, whether or not he comes back, it's a big ask for him to come back. Um, I wouldn't blame him either way. Uh, but, like I said, tra- absolutely tragic. Um, and he was really the bell cow in that OU comeback. And so, um, 
yeah, we'll see. Uh, but best of luck to him, whatever he does. Well, switching uh, topics here from a guy that we don't know what he's going to do, don't know if he's going to be back uh, with Skylar Thompson, to a guy that we know is not going to be back uh, in Josh Youngblood. Entered the transfer portal this week. K-State fans, uh, ourselves included, were extremely optimistic, extremely intrigued at what could be uh, a really a, a coming-out party for Josh Youngblood. Of course, we saw him last year, uh, mainly on the special team side of things, returning uh, kicks, but a guy that you know maybe we were hopeful that could take that next step as a wide receiver and give uh, this offense another dimension in the passing game and then the running game, moving him around on jet sweeps and stuff like that. He enters the transfer portal, of course, destination unknown at this point, but he will be transferring from K-State. Let's talk a little bit about that. Of course, it's a, a, I mean, if you would have said, you know, at the beginning of the season or at the end of last season that, hey, through four or five games, or through three or four games here, uh, you're not really going to see hardly any of Josh Youngblood in the first three or four games, and then he's going to transfer. You'd say, what is going on here? Like, what, what, what's happening? But at this point, this is the situation, and quite frankly, in my opinion, I think K-State's going to be well-equipped to, to move on without him offensively. And, and, you know, I think with the emergence of guys like Deuce Vaughn and, you know, maybe DJ Render in the passing game a little bit, guys that we weren't really thinking about uh, maybe prior to the season. But I feel like there's a little bit more in terms of the playmaker side of the ball that we didn't quite know that we had at the beginning of the season to where it makes the departure of a Josh Youngblood maybe make a little bit of sense to you saying, hey, this is a guy that, you know, what we thought we he, we could see him doing offensively, that's been kind of utilized by Deuce Vaughn here for through the first uh, four games of the season. Maybe he saw the right on the wall. Who knows? Tough to see. Yeah, I uh, I got to tell you, I, I was really surprised by this. And, I mean, obviously there was things going on behind the scenes that, frankly, I don't even – couldn't even begin to speculate at. Uh, but Youngblood was, it's a real shame just because this is a guy from Tampa, an undersized two-star guy that Kleiman kind of went out and found. Um, and he came in, had a lot of success right away in the, in the return game, but uh, Never really found his spot too much on the offense last year, but then again, he's a true freshman, and it's how much could you really? Expect? It's extremely rare for true freshman wide receivers to come in and get anything done, especially in an offense like this. It doesn't feature wide receivers very much, mm-hmm. um, and so you know, I heard some people this week talk about, oh, he was buried on the depth chart. I don't know that there's any evidence that he was buried on the depth chart. He got he had catches last year as a true freshman. In big time games, I mean, he he has a stat line from in the offense against Iowa State last year. Um, so as a true freshman, I there's just not very many. That's pretty rare. Um, so I coming into this year, I thought, yeah, he's not. You know, he didn't have Tyler Lockett's freshman campaign, but nobody really does. And I thought he had a very bright future, um, not only in the return game but also in the offense whether it's jet sweeps or going out and being a pass catcher. And so it, it from an on-the-field perspective, none of it really made, and it still doesn't make much sense to me, because he 
he was getting opportunities. Um, maybe not as many as much this year, but there's some off the field stuff. I know he had an injury over the off season and was hit. Yeah, had off season surgery. And I I don't know whether he had any sort of COVID problems, but um, all in all, I th- I do think it's a big loss, um, and that's because number one, K State's wide receiver room is all of a sudden extremely thin. Um, DJ Render, God bless him, but I, I don't think anybody's confusing him for a, a big-time playmaking threat. Um, hopefully he can develop into a serviceable wide receiver, but you know, Youngblood's a guy that I, I do think it's a shame. Um, but, and like I said, I don't... There's rumors and rumbling and, and all that stuff, but from a, from a football standpoint, it's it's a loss at a position that K State really can't af- really afford a loss at right now, and so I think it stinks. I'm I I do think it's a bummer, and all of a sudden K State needs to go out and find some wide receivers because moving forward we're thin. Yeah, we are. And Viking Gill goes out with a uh, with an arm injury. It looked like a. A broken forearm, I think, is what might have been the diagnosis. I, I don't quote me on that, but uh, against Texas Tech, and you know, it was a group going into the season. I thought the wide receivers had some potential. I, I liked the group, but I liked the group a lot more with Josh Youngblood and Malik Knowles, uh, kind of as maybe two of the more experienced, uh, you know, folks in that in that wide receiver room. Through four games, Josh Youngblood's out of the picture and. You know, quite frankly, um, Malik Knowles may as well be. I mean, in terms of where he's been, in terms of his yeah. production, he's he's been MIA. So, well, and even from like just a big picture marketing standpoint for Kleiman's program, it, and that I touched on this a second ago, but Kleiman could point to a guy like Josh Youngblood and say, "Listen, I know how to develop these diamonds in the rough." I mean, look at what I did with Josh Youngblood. He he comes in, he's an unheralded, not very ballyhooed recruit out of Florida, but he comes into K-State and turns into a freshman All-American. Sure. And he's getting he's getting snaps at wide receiver as a true freshman, and this guy is all of a sudden one of our important pieces, and he hasn't even started his true fresh or his true sophomore year yet. And so to see to see that campaign come to an end is is a shame for whatever the reason is. Um, and so in any event, uh, it's it sounds like it may have been a messy divorce, and uh, it, it's a shame for K State's broader football program that that marriage uh, couldn't continue to flourish as it did last year. Well, it'll be interesting to see what uh, the mess has up his sleeve because he he does have the deck sacked against him a little bit here in terms of probably what he thought he was going to go in the season having in terms of weapons. Uh, but uh, you know, here's the reality that we're facing now, and. Uh, the schedule's not getting any easier. KU next week. Well, the schedule does get easier. Well, in the immediate. <laughs> K State's playing, in my opinion, the worst KU team in the modern era, and there have been some bad ones. But I think this is worse than that 0 12 KU team. I think it was 2015 or 16. Um, I was speaking a little bit more about the teams immediately following KU. You said the schedule doesn't get any easier. Well, it doesn't get any easier in the next three games than it did, I think, the, these last three games. Oklahoma stands the exception there, mm-hmm. but West Virginia, Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State is... No, I, 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 I 
we're splitting hairs here. You just wanted to get a shot in at KU. Yeah. Yeah, I know you did. Yeah. It's okay to admit. It's fine. They stink. They're not great, but they do have the opportunity to you know present themselves to a national audience. They are big noon this week. That's appointment television. Um, I know you'll be watching. I certainly will. Uh, and we'll be talking more about KU next week. But for now, your purpose is you're absolutely right. It, moving forward over the next month or so, K-State does play some tough games. Against teams that have very good defenses, too. I, I, I think that West Virginia and Oklahoma State are two of the top three or four defenses. I think you got to throw K-State in there, too. As absolutely. Far as At this point, I mean, 100%. up till now, I, I think it's undeniable. No question. No question. Well, let's. Uh, is, is there anything else you want to add, kind of on the state of K State football here before we? Uh, no, I think we. I think we touched on everything. Um, it's some rocky news for a bye week, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we can uh, wrap this up. Well, as K State heads in the bye week, three and zero or three and one in uh, overall, three and zero in the conference. I like the sound of that. Not bad. Not bad after where we uh, saw ourselves after week one. Uh, of yeah. course, I think but, coming uh, into this year, we thought best case scenario after four games is K State's three and one with the loss being to Oklahoma, and you know if things roll right, you know, beat Tech and TCU. But at this point, we're playing with house money through four games. Hundred percent. Well, that'll do it here for the uh, TCU review and kind of the overall state of the K State program here as we uh, head into the bye week. Uh, after a short break, we'll be back to highlight another in the long line of Wildcat legends and answer listener questions in the Ask the Icon segment. Join us after the break. Short slide option, we're back. Nice to have you with us. Mr. Icon, we're going to get into a segment now where we highlight a K-State legend of old. This segment is called This Week's Wildcat Legend. Mr. Icon, this Wildcat legend hails... From the East Coast. Well, the an East, East. An East Coast cat. Yeah. He comes from Fairfax, Virginia. Mm. In fact, he was the top recruit in the state by the Roanoke Times after his senior season. You know, Roanoke. You know about the lost city of Roanoke. Absolutely. Yeah. What was uh, what was written on the... Uh, oh, what was it? I can't recall. I think it was Sokotoa. Sokotoa, that's it. That's no. it. <laughs> that's the trigonometry saying. What? What? It, what was it? That it, sounds very close to being it's, right. It's really close. Um, you, you know, you, you get back to the Wildcat legend. <laughs> I'll, I'll look up. No, up. no, no. We got to figure this out. Um, Croatoan. Croatoan. That's it. Sokotoa was. That's sin, cosine, and tangent. You know, I was never much of a of a guy for trig necessarily. No. I kind of had to struggle my way through that one. Um getting back to this week's Wildcat legend, uh this legend hails as I mentioned from Fairfax, Virginia. He was the top recruit in the state of Virginia by the Roanoke Times after his senior season, which I'll give you a hint was in 2003. Um as a junior in high school, he earned all region honors as a defensive end. And he started at defensive end in the state championship game as a sophomore. Now you might be asking, I don't remember K-State getting any sort of big-time recruits out of Virginia. d what are you talking about? Yeah, you're raising your finger. Oh, I remember a couple of them. Well, who? Well, 
I remember a seasoned defensive lineman coming in in the uh, the year 2009, Jeffrey Fitzgerald. Oh, yeah. And he was a very he was a very good player for K State in that 2019. Because K State was fighting tooth and nail to win the North. Keith and Valentine. Unfortunately, did not win win the North. Uh, as as we as we know, devastating fumble, backbreaking. Um, who was you mentioned that you you held up two fingers? Was there another name that? Yeah, there was. You think it might be this week's Wildcat legend? I think it might be. Who are you thinking of? Is it Olu Hall? <laughs> Icon, you're absolutely right. Uh-huh. It is Olu Hall. Olu Hall from Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, as I mentioned, his previous accolades, much ballyhooed. Um, but you might be remembering that he was a Virginia who, for a while. Played under the great Al Groh, mm-hmm. who's an absolute legend. You know who else might have been a uh, good old UVA? Uh, not during the same time maybe Olu Hall was, but uh, you know, maybe a little bit before. Ronnie. Ronnie. Well, I think he would have been there. I, I, I actually do think he Oh, he, so he was. They probably I mean, did overlap. Because Ron, Ron Prince was, you know, he, he coached Olu Hall at Kansas State. Yeah, but I, he was on Gro's staff uh, probably 100% when, during Olu Hall's freshman year. Uh, Olu Hall kind of had a rough stretch at Virginia. Ruled academically ineligible for uh, portions, twice ruled academically ineligible, in fact. Uh, took his sophomore year campaign off to focus on his academics, which, you know, being at Virginia, it's a very impressive school. Very. They, they, the rigors of a Virginia uh, education, probably no joke. Um, and so Olu had a hard time staying on the field. Nonetheless, uh, played some snaps for uh, the Cavaliers, 94, in fact, uh, out of during his first couple of years, um, but decided, you know what? I'm going to make a change. I'm going I'm to transfer schools and see if I can kind of jumpstart. Um, and who does he turn to? Ron Prince. Um, what a guy to turn to! Yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> if things aren't going well, if things aren't going well, <laughs> hit hey, your wagon to all RP. That's right. When when you need it, he's uh, he's there for you. Kind of like a Waffle House. Eventually. Oh, Never closes, baby. Never closes, baby. Um, gets on the field for K-State. Plays a lot. Um, a lot in the 2008 season. Um, plays in all... Well, plays nine games. <laughs> a lot in those nine games. They couldn't... They had, they had a rope I was really field. expecting it to be 12. And then I looked at my notes here. No, just nine. Um, but turned in a, a great year for K-State. Had 22 tackles on the season. 11 of those solo. And uh, also, not for nothing, had two pass deflections that year as well. Um, his he had th- he had uh, his best game was probably against Texas Tech in that 2008 season, which good game for Olu, bad game for Kansas State. Not a great game for K State, no. Uh, six total tackles on the day out of Olu. Three of those were solo, um, and just was a pretty good piece in that 2008 uh, season. Any uh, any moments? Stick out uh, on Olu Hall for you, Icon? You know, I remember when we got him. It was, a, it was a guy I was pretty excited about us getting because he did come in with, you know, the reputation of being a talented player. 
and I uh, was hopeful that K-State was able to maybe piece together uh, a defense that would be formidable in that 2008 season because you knew with Josh Freeman, you know, Brandon Banks, Ernie Pierce at, at the wide receivers, that K-State was going to be able to put up some points. When you tell you line up Ernie Pierce on the outside? Mismatch. Mismatch. Mismatch, to say the least. And, you know, Olu Hall... Helped out that defense, but uh, that defense needed a lot more help. But Olu Hall did a really nice job, and you know I, I look back at his career at K-State uh, rather fondly, actually. Absolutely. And these days, Olu is out in Centerville, Virginia. Oh, Working as a home. personal trainer. So, uh, yeah, he always looked the part, no question about well, that. He still does, based oh, on I, his LinkedIn photo. I have no doubt about it. Um, he's a first-off-the-bus type of guy. 100%. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's not a linear journey, and his journey took him to Kansas State, where he turned in a, uh, a nice senior year campaign after some early turmoil in his college football career. But it's that kind of perseverance, take it to the limit, that makes Olu Hall this week's Wildcat legend. Good, that's good stuff there, D'Lo. Good stuff out of you there. Well, and that's right. Well, and Mr. Icon, now we turn the attention to you. Oh, I know. Because now we're getting into a segment that we here at the Short Side Option like to call Ask the Icon, where listeners of the Short Side Option can ask the, ver- ask the Short Side Option's very own Chris the Icon Sork whatever question they want, really in whatever fashion they want. If you want to text them to us, if you want to tweet them at us uh, at the Short Side Option podcast. Uh, and, I did receive, and I did receive a text message. Uh, I did too. Um, really, in whatever manner you want to do it, just do it. If you want to get, if you want to come up to us, force us to the ground, tattoo a question on our chest backwards so we have to read it in the mirror. You do that. It's no problem at all. Um, really, whatever fashion you want to do it, you can do it. Um, and so we'll just get right into the questions now. Uh, and we will start here with a question from listener Tyler H. At TH8 underscore. Tyler S. Icon. WTF am I supposed to do on Saturday? Didn't we already have a bye? I thought we were playing the Hawks this week. Your thoughts? Well, uh, we do not play the Hawks. We have the week off. Now, KU, as we mentioned, I believe is the only Big 12 game this this uh, this week as they take on uh, West Virginia and Morgantown. And what I would advise anyone... That bleeds purple, like I know Tyler does. I know that he bleeds purple more than almost anyone that I know, honestly. Anyone that's worth their salt is going to be breaking down this KU-West Virginia game on Saturday in the 11 o'clock hour. And I would encourage you to get your clicker out, go back and forth, and really analyze this game and scout them. I mean, this is where this is what really separates, you know, folks that are you know oh, the casuals, yeah, the casuals from the guys that are grinders. And you know, we're we're grinders. That's all we do is grind on film and sports stories, right? I mean, in coffee, in coffee, hundred percent. And at this point, there's not really much else going on in terms of Big Twelve action. So you need to be, you know, buckled in and uh, ready to watch KU at eleven o'clock as they take on a West Virginia team that will be playing here shortly thereafter. So. This is a good opportunity for K-State fans to do some scouting. Also, too, there are, no, there are really no such thing as off weeks. Make yourself better this week. 
whether if it's, you know what? Yeah. You know, for K-State games, I like to, you know, maybe put a put a brisket on the Traeger. Get that thing smoked out or, or, or you know, do something with, with that. Or, you know what I'm going to do this time? For my next tailgate, I'm going to just have hot dogs and hamburgers. Get to work on it now. Get that preparation. Work out any kinks. Make sure that you have a smooth operation running. So when it is game week next week against KU, you're already prepared. You know what's going on. It's great advice, as always. Uh, next question comes from listener Mahomes2020 at KSU underscore funny33. Mahomes asks, and I'm just going to limit you to one word here, Mr. Icon. Do you think Skyler will be, will be back next year? No. All right. Asked and answered. I know we touched on that a little bit earlier. Tough to say, but I, in in with the prompt that you were uh, asking with with brevity, I'm leaning no. Uh, and now, Mister Icon, we're going to take a stroll to a familiar place. I know where we're going. A place that we like to call Philosopher's Corner. This week, the philosopher says, "An apology and an appeal." Quote. Like all dreamers, I mistook disenchantment for truth. It's a quote from Jean-Paul Sartre. After the injury to our QB1 and team leader, Skylar Thompson, I lost my faith in the team's prospects for success. The superego of a thinking fan will always reflexively seek the protection of the self by rationaling away, <clears throat> excuse me, by rationalizing away the id's primal desire to win with offers of cynicism and negativity that placate the ego and protect the remote control, drywall, and domestic relations. But Freud and Sartre don't speak to matters of the soul, like football. So let us instead turn to the words of the Prophet Muhammad. Quote, None of you truly believes until he wishes for his brother what he wishes for himself. Before my question, a confession. No. No, I have not truly believed in victory for my brothers in purple. No, I have not been pounding the stone. But I ask this. Have our brothers not believed in themselves? Have they not been fighting ever fighting for the purple and the white? Have they not been faithful to the colors? I now commit to join into what has been offered time and time again. As we enter this bye week, I can only offer this confession and commitment and humbly ask that others may seek to join me, to join our brothers in this journey. Win the dang day. That's a lot to take in there. I don't... Um, I, I, so I think if there's a question... If, there if there's was, a question in there, it got lost on me a And it's real ago. smart. Um, it's a that was smart that's always a smart question. Oh, 100%. Um, I think to the extent there were any questions in there, it was the string of questions where he asks, uh, have our brothers not believed in themselves? Have they been fighting ever fighting for the purple and the white? And have they not been faithful to the colors? And I think, well, Icon, do you think the team has been fighting? Absolutely. No question about it. Uh, I think that you could see it a little bit you, you can look at different points of the season where this team has shown some great resilience, whether if it's falling behind 
uh, on the road at halftime to Oklahoma where nothing is going right offensively for K-State. Nothing. Can't run the ball. Skyler's under pressure. Offense looks inept. Defense is getting gashed. Look, it looks like the season's going to get out of hand really quick. Yeah. Even in the second half. Even into the the halfway through the third quarter, things are looking really bad for K-State. But they dig deep. They find a way. They find a way to come back from a 21-point deficit and win on the road at then rank number three, Oklahoma. Now. Now. We move on to the next week against TCU. Or against uh, Texas Tech. Towards the end of the first half, Skylar Thompson goes out with an injury. At this point, you're thinking, okay, well, maybe halftime he gets back out there. Not the case. You look at a true freshman, Will the Thrill Howard. What does this team do? They rally around him. They make the plays down the stretch. Whether if it's Will Howard leading the offense down there to score to take the lead, or whether if it's the defense coming up with a big-time stop at the end to get the interception and to really uh, keep Texas Tech at, at arm's length. Now we look forward to TCU. T- TCU, they get off to a, a bit of a start. K-State trails. K-State's not looking real good offense. Defense continues to find a way. The defense helps the offense, getting short fields and scoring on their own. This team's all working together. It's a beautiful thing. It is, and, and not for nothing, but K-State bounced back after the first week loss to Arkansas oh, State. No question. When, when people were, uh, myself included, not very high on, on what the direction this program was going, they find ways to, uh, to tune out uh, idiots like me and uh, find their way uh, now top the conference after, after three conference games. So you love to see it. And a great stroll to Philosopher's Corner, as always. Uh, getting back to Ask the Icon. Uh, next question comes from listener Joey Kinney at jkinney1987. He asks, uh, with Skyler out for the season and his career possibly over, where do you rank him uh, in the official TSSO ranking of Wildcat signal callers? Okay, so clearly behind... The greats. The greats. In the greats, you can... It, it, it's a list of three. Klein... The Holy Trinity. Bishop, Roberson. Yep. My opinion, Bishop, Klein, Roberson in order. Don't know if you're going to fight me much on that, but... uh, No, I think that's probably about right. So now you kind of transfer into maybe a little bit of a second tier. Beasley, Waters, Thompson. Freeman. Freeman in there as well. Thompson in that second category. Well, we'll make make it a, a list of three. Okay. Or, or a list of four, rather. Excuse me. You have to put Freeman. Oh, we're not ranking Lynn Dickey, by the way. Yeah. We're, so just we're shut still, up about him. Yeah. Just we're we're going pretty much Snyder here. Yeah. Snyder into Prince into Kleinman. So, at that point, I have to go Freeman number four. Waters five. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack. I'm gonna go Freeman Freeman four. Beasley five, Waters six, Thompson seven. Does Chad May fit into anywhere in in these rankings? I know be- he's a little before your time. A little before my time. He's probably he he probably deserves inclusion in that list. He's probably ahead of Skylar Thompson as well. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's fair. Seven or eight, and it's. You know, you give him a full season, and who knows where? Who and, knows? That, that, and that's really, as you mentioned, kind of the heartbreaking thing about that is because there was a lot left of, of the book to write, so to speak, and there still could be the opportunity to finish that book uh, if Thompson decides to come back. 
for for what would be his sixth year. Yeah. So uh, time will tell. Uh, Joey has a second question. Uh, he says, also, why can't the Yankees win the big one? You look despondent, Icon. I am despondent, Bilu. Uh, why can't they win the big one? It's it's an organizational philosophy at this point to me. Relying too much on the analytics. We don't have enough guys that put – we have too many of the same players. you got Judge. You've got Stanton. You've got Voight. All, all great players in their own right. Too much swing and miss. Too much reliance on the home run. I, you know, I understand that baseball is a game now of three true outcomes. Strikeout, walk, or home run. That's what everyone's doing now. They need, to, they need to throw that out. I want 1920s baseball back where we're bunning, we're running, and we're hitting for contact. I am done with all this stuff. And this is a little bit of a, of a reversal here for me. Because, you know, chicks take the long ball, man, you know? Hey, hell yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it hasn't worked for the Yankees. And they need to go out and get some more starting pitching. But uh, until they make some organizational philosophy changes, I think they're going to struggle to win the big one. And, uh, you know, Friday night was a rough time for me. I believe it. Uh, sad times around the Icon household is uh, the Bronx Bombers – fall uh our final question this week comes from a not the final question I, i've got one too oh excuse me text uh, the penultimate question this week comes from trim at trim goemo he asks if gary patterson was competing on this unique season of the bachelorette filmed in the scorching desert of palm springs what would the sweat situation be would he lose 50 pounds 100 gary He's a sweaty guy gary's a sweater and, you know, that visor, uh, it, it can, um, you know, maybe break some of that sweat off. Keep, keep your brow a little bit, you know, kempt, so to speak. But, yeah, Gary's a sweater. I'm a sweater, too. Hey, it was hot out there in Fort Worth, it looked like. I mean, 80, 85 degrees looked like. So You know, he's a guy that I feel like would do well up in the coaching in Minnesota or something. Just keep him off the Texas sun. Well, Gary's an institution down there in Fort Worth, you know. I mean, so he, he's handled it well, but he might – you remember they went up and played in Minnesota. Of course. Uh, you know, early on, uh, I believe it was the 2015 season. So maybe that might – you know, maybe he needs to get out of Fort Worth every now and then and just schedule, you know, something a little <laughs> bit further north just to give himself a little bit of a break. Absolutely. But, yeah, you know, I now I don't do Bachelor stuff. I don't I don't know. Well, this is strictly a Temptation I'm, I'm Island I, podcast. 100%. I mean, now, they're getting back fired up here before all too long, I believe. I think they're rolling. I, th- I think it's started. What? <laughs> oh, Temptation Island? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. That, the, oh. bachelor, the Bachelor Bachelorette is, is, my understanding is it's, Episodes are happening. Okay, no, I, sorry. I had I, a, I, I had a bit of a moment there of of uh, just you know, a bit of a heartfelt, a bit of a heartfelt. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, we we don't want any of that going on. But uh, you know, I, I'm going to get back to Gary here for a moment, if I may. Please. He's got to almost be losing his mind with what his offense is looking like after. Okay, so I, I'm just going to ba- I'm going to backtrack here. Final possession of the game here. TCU's really done nothing offensively to this point. They've only scored 14 points. They scored on, you know, an opening drive in the first first quarter. But since then, 
pretty well stymied until the fourth quarter. Yeah. So and in the, fact, gave seven points away. Yeah, exactly. And so now here at this point, they have a chance to go down and you know tie the game up or possibly win it at the end of regulation if they decide to go for two. I think there was a minute 30 left. I know, I know where this is going. First play is a designed quarterback run. With no timeouts, right? I think they have one timeout. They have one timeout but, remaining. But they don't use it after this. But what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? This is and now this is a an offensive staff that has you know Doug Meacham is back at TCU after having been there and then going to uh, Kansas. To Kansas, he's back there with Sonny Cumby, who is a um, who's been there for for some time now for TCU. What are you doing? I mean, this offense looks as we said earlier, piss, piss poor. poor. Is, yeah. is I think is a Mild way of saying that. It was some of these decisions from the coaching staff leave you have your leave you scratching your head, and for Gary, leaves you perspiring profusely. Yeah. I mean, what, what else can the guy? I'm getting hot I'm sweat, under the collar. I'm sweating just thinking about it. Absolutely. So uh, hopefully Gary can get that figured out here uh, in the second half of the season for for TCU. Absolutely. Well, we're now on our final question of the uh, of the segment. Is Mr. Icon uh, glances down at his phone? Yes. To, uh, to find yes. It. So this, uh, it, it, I and I misspoke earlier. It did not come via text message. It come via direct message on Twitter.com, where you can find us at tsso underscore podcast uh, on there. And this one comes from C A Waffles. C A asks us, "What are your favorite pep band songs?" Pep band song. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I know we've discussed this before, just us horsing around, around the house. Um, I really like the, uh, I like when the pet band gets kind of into the ska and it's the, um, oh, why don't you go first? And I'll, I'll, I'll think of the song that, uh, that I'm, I'm thinking of. Two songs for me, top of the list. Word Up. In the classic by Chicago, twenty-five or six to four. That I mean, that's a great pet band song. Uh, yeah. Now, the, which one is Word Up? Um, dun dun Yeah, I could go on and on, but I, you know, we we know the song. What's the? Uh, I think K State's pet band plays one by Huey Lewis, don't they? Oh, um, they do. Uh, hip to be square. Yeah, no, that's that's the one I like. Uh, so, man, great question. That, that he always brings. He's been bringing some good questions here lately. C.A. Waffles does a great job. He's a you know. Last week he kind of went a little bit off the reservation a little bit, asking us about the next size of our dress shirts. But there's a there's a method to his madness. I, I think I'm kind of starting to understand it here a little bit. What's that? Well, uh, he just he wants to. I know that. The next size is big time for evaluating athletes. I mean, that's really what it comes down to a lot of the time. You, people kind of get bent out of shape about, it. oh, what are his measurables? Oh, how quick does he run his shuttle? Oh, is this guy, does, does he have the hips to be able to play, you know, defensive back position? Does he have the hips to be square? You know, I was a huge fan of Huey, Huey Lewis News, but their new album, 
sports. Got it. It was it was a little too new age for me. Some of that, some of his old stuff. But this one was not only his uh, what I thought was his best commercial success, but really when he came into his own as a songwriter. Well, Mr. Icon, it's uh, it's time for us to kind of wrap up the show. I have to return some videotapes. Um, so, any any final thoughts while we uh, close the book here? You know, Dilo, it's been a little bit of an odd week here for K State as we get into the bye because we mentioned with transfers, having your news that Skylar Thompson is going to be out for the season. But let's not lose fact. Let's not lose what's important here. And, and the fact of the matter is, K State's three and zero in conference play, and they've got a very winnable game after the bye week against KU. And then they've got, you know, they got to go on the road uh, to West Virginia, which has been a tough place for K-State, tough place for really anyone in this league to go out and win. And then they get a game uh, against Oklahoma State at home, which Oklahoma State, now a top-10 team. So it's all right there for K-State as we, you know, are getting close, believe it or not, to turn the calendar uh, to the month of November. Uh, where they're right in a, uh, contention here for a conference race. And quite frankly, after the first week of the season, we thought that would be a, a miracle to be you know in this position. Here we are, and you do, I don't want K-State fans to lose sight of this because this has been a really fun season up to this point, and I think it has the potential to be a great season going forward. Absolutely. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. This is uh, the whole season's in front of K-State, and it can go really one of three ways. Either K-State is there at the end of the season. Will Howard takes reins here, and the defense keeps playing stout. Find ourselves in Arlington. K-State kind of meanders through the rest of the way and wins maybe anywhere from five to seven games. Or K-State, uh, the wheels kind of come off, and K-State's stuck at, uh, at, at four wins, and the, and the season, after a very promising start, turns into a disappointing one. So... Hopefully it's one of the former two, and uh, K-State can finish off this 2020 campaign with something they can be proud of. Absolutely. I think that's well said. Well, that'll wrap it up here for the Short Side Option podcast. Thank you for joining us uh, on this edition of the Short Side Option. We'll be back next week to preview the Sunflower Showdown against KU. Until then, thanks for listening to the Short Side Option podcast, and go Cats!